the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Well, the Bible is clear that we're not saved by good works, but if we are saved, we'll do good works. And if Jesus Christ has come in and changed our life, then we're going to bear the fruit of righteousness. Uh, First John has a lot to say about this, and that's where we are in this edition of Exploring the Word. We're in the New Testament book of First John. If you've got a Bible, turn along and follow along with us as Bert Harper and Alex McFarlane welcome you to Exploring the Word. Plus, as always, we'll open up the phone in a few minutes and take your calls and Bible questions. Well, Bert, it's good to be back with you and good to be continuing our look at the New Testament book of 1 John. It is a wonderful journey as you make your way through it. You're looking at the ways you can know God and the way that you can know that you know God. Now, I, I, I tried to put those together, and, and it is awesome to know him, and it is awesome to know that you do know him as Lord and Savior. And so John is writing this, and he says several times, little children, he'll say, beloved, he said to the younger men, to the older men, so you can see he's building a relationship, or he has a relationship with these, and he writes to them concerning the greatest relationship, and that is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that mm. any person who's ever been born can have. And so, matter of fact, uh, John, the Gospel of John, he said, that's the reason I wrote it, uh, that the, you might believe on the Son of God. And so, Alex, he did many, many things and here in First John, he nails them down to let us know that this is what Jesus has done for us to die on the cross, to save us from our sin, not to save us to keep on sinning, especially in this chapter 3. It really talks about the person that practices sin needs to really check up on their life to see if they've really been born again, don't they? Well, they do. They do. And you know, um, one of the verses that I love, First uh, John three three. Well, it's. Let me go back in First John three verse two. Beloved, now are we the sons of God? So here's the thing: if you've trusted Jesus, uh, you are now a child of God, present tense. And I know one day we'll leave this world, either by death or by Christ's return, we'll be in the presence of God. But if you've put your faith in Jesus, as First John 3, 2 says, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Verse 3, and every man that has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. Bert, this is not a great comparison. But every once in a while, I'll spend the money and I'll get my car detailed, you know. Now, sometimes I want to wash and clean up my car, but I drive so much and there's bugs all over it and my car just gets all dirty because of all my travel. And every now and then, I'll just pay. And uh, to get your car detailed is not cheap, but they just know how to do it and make it look brand new. But when I get my car cleaned, I want to keep it clean, you know? Yeah. And I'll try... Here's the thing. If you've been saved and you've been purified, 
then you'll want to keep yourself pure. You know, it's not works that saves you. It's Christ's work. But every man who has this hope purifies himself. And it's almost like if you've met, if you've met the forgiver, you want to walk righteously. God puts a different set of wants inside of you, doesn't he? Bert? He really does. And again, the practicing the sin, yes, the Bible says he who is without sin says he's without sin is a liar and the truth is not in him. But then the Bible says don't continue in your sin. Don't practice sin. And so you don't hear two messages. That's not what you're hearing. You're hearing what John is saying concerning sin. It also, it's what he says concerning humanity, even saved humanity. That, that, that nature that's in us is, uh, it's, you know, it's sort of like James said about the tongue. No man can control that tongue. And uh, it takes the power of the Holy Spirit in our life to become what God intends us to be. And so verse 3 says it this way, or verse 4 of 1 John 3. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Now, this commits sin has the idea of practicing sin, continuing to commit or practice sin. Uh, listen, that's not your practice. He's delivered you. You don't have to do that. And you know that he who was manifested to, to take away our sin, in him there is no sin in Christ. Whoever abides, and there's that word again, Alex, you see it quite a few times. Whoever abides or remains in him does not continue in sin. That's our idea, does not practice sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Now, everybody says, man, I, I can't understand that. Let me put it this way. Sin is a big deal with God. It breaks his heart. It hurts us. It harms us. And for it to take care of our sin, what did God the Father have to do? He had to send his son into this world to die on the cross to become sin for us. Jesus voluntarily said, Father, I'll do it. I'll be that sacrifice. And so, Alex, regardless of anything else that you see in the book of 1 John chapter 3, it is the severity of sin and how God looks upon it and how we as followers of Christ should, should do everything we can to stay away from that sin. Actions plus attitude, inward and outward. Uh, Alex, uh, the inward sin is just as real as the outward sin. It's, mm. It may not be a sin by others, but it still causes that issue with our separation from God with, if it's not forgiven by him. Uh, do you ever read Scripture and you wonder... How often does this particular passage get preached on much anymore? <laughs> Let me read. It goes on. I want to encourage you to read 1 John 3, and it talks about that Jesus was manifested to take away our sin. Praise the Lord for that. You know, that word manifested, later on, uh, uh, in I believe it's in 1 John 4, it says that Jesus, the Son of God, was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. But... Um, you go on down there and look at um, 7 and 8. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Okay, the word righteousness appears three times in that one verse. But here's a passage I bet doesn't get preached on much. He that committeth sin is of the devil. 
For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose was the Son of God manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. There's that verse. Now, we li- we're living in a time where a lot of things that the Bible clearly calls sin, suddenly people and preachers are okay with, whether it be immoral things or sex outside of marriage or homosexual activity or uh, transgenderism. It's funny how somehow or another, not all, but some within the church have felt like it was within their power to declassify some things that Word of God calls sin. But, you know, it says, don't be deceived, verse 7, don't be deceived. And verse 8, the one who commits sin is of the devil. Satan, sin, condemnation, according to the Word of God, these things are still really, really serious. You mean they haven't changed in 2023? No. Wokeness and cancel culture (laughs) will not uh, negate the Word of God. Now, what you have here. Sin, uh, he's talking about sin. He's talking about the devil and being deceived. Satan is a deceiver. That's mm-hmm. one of his his motives uh, operandi. He he works that way. He tries to deceive. Uh, he deceived Le- uh, Eve. He really did. And he continues to don't let Satan deceive you thinking, oh, well, I've been saved. It doesn't matter. You know, it's easier to get forgiveness than it is permission no, we need to I go to that. God first and say, God, what would you have me do? Jesus did that. If Jesus did that as the very son of God, as he came to this earth, how important it is for us. Now, Alex, it continues on, and, and I love that. He might destroy the works of the devil. God destroys. Yes, I have to remember, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Satan is a formidable po- foe for us. Uh, we'll not overcome him, but God in us is greater than he that is in the world. And we need to lean upon him. We need to depend upon him. We need to walk in the spirit. Verse 9 says, whoever has been born of God does not again, does not consent, does not continue in sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Listen, God changes us. Go back to what Paul said about we're a new creature in Christ. Old things are past. All things have become new. The idea is it has come. All things are past and are continuing to pass. Get, listen, he is doing that work in us. We do not need to let sin sidetrack us and getting us off course of the direction God would have for us. Mm. Bert, well said. Well said, brother. And by the way, folks, this is Exploring the Word with uh, Alex and Bert. So glad you're listening. Here's the number. You might want to take this number down because later on in the show we will get to telephone calls and your Bible questions. The number is 888-589-8840. Verse 9, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, let me say, a born-again Christian can sin. Uh, because that's why 1 John 1, 9 is in there, that we are to confess our sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us. But Bert, uh, this is one of those things where you need to take the salvation verses uh, as a whole. And here, here's the bottom line. When you trust Christ positionally you're in Christ, you're born again. So your sonship has been decided because you've come to Christ and been saved, but your daily fellowship, 
Now that's where we have to make sure as the uh, uh, the old saying is, keep short accounts with God. Yep. But here's here's why sin is so egregiously inappropriate for a Christian. Because look, whosoever is born of God, verse 9, that's not who you are anymore. That's, you know, whether it be, you know, uh, we think of big sins and little sins. They're all, you know, Vince Havner said, secret sin on earth is open scandal in heaven, mm-hmm. you know. But Bert, uh, as a new creature positionally in Christ, washed in the blood, imparted with Christ's righteousness, um, iniquity and carnality is just not appropriate for a believer, is it? It is not. We need to live in that new nature that we received in Christ Jesus. That nature is one of following God, obeying Him, doing His will. We're going to be back with more of Exploring the Word right after this break. Thank you for listening today. That's one of the themes of exploring the Word, telling you about Jesus. We make much of Him. And speaking of making much of Jesus, the Marriage, Family, and Life Conference for 2023, has the registration has been extended to June the 1st. We do have room for you if you haven't signed up yet. It's July the 6th through the 8th, and it's two tracks, one for adults and apologetic track for youth. You'd want to be a part of that. And you can go to marriagefamilylife.net. That's marriagefamilylife.net, all lowercase, and you can register now. And uh, that's what we'd want to do. It's got a great lineup. You'll want to be a part of it. It's right here in Tupelo, Mississippi, and you'll get to meet a lot of the folks here at AFR as we are there at that conference center. So we will, you'll do that. By the way, today's a special day, Alex, in my life. Mm. It's my wife's birthday. It's Jan's wow. birthday today. Yeah, May well, May the 15th is an birthday, awesome yeah. day in my life that God brought her into the world. And so happy birthday, Jan. <laughs> well, praise God, and happy birthday to Jan Harper, and that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And, uh, you know, I know everybody probably had a special day yesterday being Mother's Day, and thank God for all the the moms. And, uh, you know, a lot we could say about that, but, you know, we're blessed, and we we really are. And, folks, we're in 1 John 3, but uh, it goes on down there, and I love what it says in verse 10. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Uh, remember in John chapter 13, it says, By this will all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. So one of the earmarks of a life having been changed by Jesus is love for fellow Christians. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? In other words, why did he do that? Because his own works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Bert, um, the unrighteous having contempt and resentment for the righteous, 
that goes back throughout human history, doesn't it? It really does. It's it's right there, and he gives this illustration. Let me just say, this is, I won't say it's unusual for John, but but the Apostle Paul was always referring back to the Old Testament. John uh, not necessarily refers, but infers. You can see what he brings forth. But here he goes back to that very first family and sees that this is the wicked one, his desire to kill, steal, and destroy. And that is the whole idea because his works were evil. Here's what when a person's, when anyone's work is evil, they're going to do one of two things, Alex. They're going to either confess it or justify it. That's one or the other. Now, how they go, if they confess it, they can come to God. People ask about, well, did Judas confess it? No, he guilt got over, over him, and the way out for him was to commit suicide. But Paul, on the other hand, after he had been part of Stephen's uh, stoning, he confessed it and got right with God and continued to serve God. And so here, if it, wickedness, and, and let me just say that's true with anyone, but that person that is a Christian, and they found themselves in a sin, and they said, oh, man, don't justify it. Confess it. Uh, agree. The word confess means to agree or say the same thing as God and say, oh, God, I, I did it. I, I'm a guilty. Lord, forgive me, and I want to walk with you and not do that. Let not that be a part of my life. And so here we find Cain and, and his brother Abel. And so, Alex, I found this a little bit unusual for John. You know what I mean? He doesn't do that quite as often as right, as, right. As, as even Peter uh, or John or Paul either one, does he, referring back to a specific time. No, no. And But, you know, this shows that um, when I was at Liberty in seminary and graduate school, uh, we were told by Dr. Wilmington and Elmer Towns and great professors that Scripture harmonizes with Scripture. You know what I mean? Yes. That um, the Word of God agrees with itself. And so John the Apostle here, referencing Genesis, um, you really do see this unified whole that the, the Word of God speaks with a unified voice. And hatred and resentment, uh, jealousy, motivated Cain to murder, and we're not to be like any of those things. Uh, Cain's works were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Now, verse 13, marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. Uh, hey, welcome to 2023, where those that, you know, we're not trying to be self-righteous, but we are righteous in Christ, and we're not trying to be up on some moral high horse, but we who have found the Lord, we do stand for what God's Word says, and the world oftentimes just, you know, is very angry and hateful about that. But it says in verse 14, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abides in death. Whosoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Bert, obviously, someone who has committed murder can be forgiven. But here's the thing. Um, if we have been born again in Jesus, we can't have a murderous heart. Let me just say this. There might be people struggling now and 
forgiving somebody is something very hard to do. And look, if you've received the forgiveness of Jesus, you have to forgive. Um, And a lot of times these changes in your life, the Holy Spirit is the only one that can give you the strength to forgive, to love, to trust again, to have joy again, and to move on. But here's the point. If you've been forgiven as a as a changed follower of the Lord now, you must forgive. Bert, a Christian can't hate anybody. Now, we can disagree on behavior and beliefs. I did an interview this morning, uh, Bert, a newspaper from out west called me to interview me about what evangelical Christians think about this or that. And I, uh, two or three times in the course of this interview, I said, look, uh, we can disagree over beliefs and policies and behaviors. It doesn't mean we hate anybody. We love people. But um, in the uh, spirited contest of ideas, you know, worldviews are up for grabs. Uh, But people, no true Christian can really hate anybody or refuse to forgive another person, can they? They cannot. Now, let me just say this. It may take a while for you to get there, okay? Uh, there's a person that was in my life, uh, not they did anything to me, but because of what they had done to loved ones, I developed a dislike for them. I, you know, they deserved. And then God got a hold of me and said, Bert, who do you think you are? You think you'd mm. be any, any different without Christ? Now, uh, hating a brother in Christ is, is, uh, that that's condemned. Now, and again, do we hate those that are without Christ? No, we understand uh, that we need to, to care for them and, and love them. We may not like them, but we need to love them. In other words, in what you can't do, God can do through you. Alex, one thing real quickly, I want to do this in First John. Notice verse 14, what it says. We know that we have passed from death to life. Now, how do you like those words? We mm. can know that we have passed from death K-N-O-W. to life. K-N-O-W. Exactly. Now, how? Because we love the brethren. That's number two of the reasons that we can know we're saved. The first one was in First John chapter 2, verse 3, when it says, We know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now, here's the second one. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Those are two points that you can check up on your life to see if you've really been saved. Do you know him? Do you love him? Do you Are you striving to keep his commandments, practicing uh, righteousness? And number two, do you love the brethren? Do you love those that love Christ and they're close to you? Now, there's going to be three more, and when we get to them, I'll let you know. But those of you that listen each and every day, you need to keep these things down. This is the second thing that Paul, that, excuse me, John gives us that we may know. Now, notice what else he says here. It says, by verse 16, you read it, but let me read it again and go into 17. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. We ought also to lay down our lives for the brethren. What a statement. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart for him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, he uses that term again, calling them, let me, he's, he's reminding them of the relationship that they have with him and with God. Let us not love in word or in tongue, 
but indeed and in truth. You mean, you mean Alex, uh, saying it is not enough? Come on now, John. <laughs> uh, we, we, we not only talk it, we walk it, as they say, right? Exactly, and that's the whole idea. Indeed and, look at that last word, in truth. Uh, mm. Listen, the truth has set you free. The truth of knowing your brethren, knowing God, knowing that they're your brothers, the truth will set you free. And part of that truth, the reason you want to help them is because in reality, God really has helped us. Who are we to deny others when God has given us the power to bless others? We need to do that. We need to share in what God has blessed us with. We, we're not, God doesn't bless us for us to collect it. He gives mm. our blessings so we can share it. Does this remind you of James chapter 1? <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> uh, James 1, 22 and 23, Be ye doers, doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if anyone be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who sees himself in the mirror and walks away. Uh, this is another one of those things where, you know, Scripture really... Um, affirms Scripture, doesn't it? That it's not just to hear it, but to really, really do it. It does. Alex, uh, notice this, and by this we know that we're in the truth. We are of the truth. How how important is truth? Uh, if you believe a lie and you practice that lie, you cannot be right. It's absolutely impossible. You start with a lie, you end with a lie, you continue mm. in the lie. So you want to start in truth, stay in truth, and end in truth. And the whole idea is Jesus Christ is the truth, and it's the truth about who he is. More, If you get the truth of who Jesus is and you trust him, you have a greater likelihood to know the truth of other things as well. But if you've gotten that wrong, you have a greater likelihood of missing the mark on every other thing. So how important is that to know Christ and to, him, to know him as truth, Alex? Well, let me digress for just a minute. When I was in graduate school, I had a class on logic and critical thinking skills. And I was very intimidated going into this, but I had to take it and came to love it, really. But um, when you've got—you're trying to reason through something, you want to make sure that you're your assumptions or your presuppositions are reasonable. So I had this logic textbook. I'll never forget the author of the textbook was Keith Yandel. And it said this, now listen to this statement. It said, a, and it was not a Christian book necessarily, but, you know, good reasoning and truth. You follow truth wherever truth leads, and you will find Jesus eventually. But this book said, a system of thought based on contradictions, contains no truth, however small. And I read that. This was a secular critical thinking book. A system of thought based on contradictions contains no truth, however small. Now, you think about this, Bert. The world today says there is no absolute truth, but it's wrong to make people work for a living. Well, that's a contradiction. They'll say, you know, there is no God, there is no morality, and you don't have the right to impose your beliefs on me. Uh, and then they wonder, why is the country in a state of chaos, you know? Uh, you can't tell children about the Ten Commandments, because that would be, you know, violating the First Amendment. 
but we don't understand why there's shootings in school. Bert, here's the thing, and you know, we could read the remainder of the verses in First John chapter three, but if we start out with things that are false, we're gonna have the repercussions of falsehood. Amen. If, yes. however, we humble ourselves and we embrace what is God's revealed truth, then we're gonna have the blessings of having proclaimed and lived truth. And uh you know, I don't mean to digress, but here, here's the thing. We're not just to hear it or know about it. We're to embrace it and live it, aren't we? We really are. Now, notice what he does. He brings this knowledge, this truth, to the very issue of our inner being. Verse 19, and by this we know that we are the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. He brings it inward. This works in examine yourself to see if you are in the truth. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now, Alex, again, truth, that knowledge of the truth working its way in us, it does the work of God and reveals to us what we are, who we are, and it brings us to the point of really, I I would say, brings us to the point of conviction, and we repent, we turn to God, and ask Him to change our lives completely. Let truth reign in your life, and when you let truth reign, Christ will reign in your life. Alex, you ready to take phone calls? The number is 888-589-8840, 589-8840. When Exploring the Word comes back, we'll take your calls. Stay with us. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. With all the other not quite, with all the never get it right. But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. I love that song. Nobody telling everybody. (laughs) So, Alex, uh, that is a good theme because we're always saying, tell everybody, somebody about Exploring the Word, but tell everybody about Jesus Christ. So, that song uh, goes along with our theme. But we've got callers. Are you ready to go to the phone lines? We're going to do it, folks. We're going to start in Arkansas with Cody. Cody, uh, thanks for holding. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Oh, thank you for having me. I was going to ask you about Matthew 7, uh, 22, where Jesus is speaking about true and false disciples. He says, many will say uh, to him, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy and do great works in your name? And he will say back, uh, I never knew you. Does that have some kind of contextual relationship to believing God, at, or not believing in God, but believing in Christ as our Savior and not living out a, a life uh, endeavoring not to sin? Do, do you follow me or does it have a different context that I'm missing? 
Go ahead, uh, Alex. Well, earlier in the chapter, and by the way, thank you, Cody, for calling. Like in verse 13 where, of Matthew 7, where Jesus had said, Enter in at the straight gate, wide is the gate, broad is the way, you know, uh, the narrow is the way to life, and few there be that find it. And then he goes on down there, and um, he does talk about, you know, the fruit a tree brings forth good fruit, a good tree brings forth good fruit. But it really does come down in verse 23 to having a relationship to Christ. The word there, I never knew you, means, uh, you know, the person might have been outwardly religious, but there had not been that inward change that elsewhere it's called the new birth, uh, saved, converted. But birth is not just enough to know about Jesus. We have to have that personal encounter, that personal relationship with Jesus, don't we? We really do. And and I, I believe chapter 7, uh, Cody, sets this up well. In verses 13 and 14, it talks about the narrow gate and and so forth, you know, the wide gate. In verses 15, it talks about false prophets. Look at verse 16, and I think it really does open up what you were asking. You will know them by their fruits. Now, listen, in other words, we can know folks, but we may not be able to know all of them. When Jesus looks, he looks inside. He just doesn't. The outside really doesn't impress him very much, if you want to get right down to it. Uh, the two times that Jesus marveled was never about outward experience. It was about an inward. He said, I have not, so, not found so great a faith even in Israel. And, and so, Alex, I think it is connected with that false prophets going their way. I never knew you, regardless of what you throw up to me. And that's what they're doing. Look what I've done, Jesus. Yes, look what I've done. Do you remember <clears throat> uh, truth? Uh, in truth, it talked about evangelism explosion. And one mm-hmm. of the key questions was, if you stood, if you died and stood before God right now, and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Well, this is what some would say. Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not done these wonderful works? But if you do not have that relationship with Christ, with the narrow way, then I want to tell you, he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. We need to know him. Thank Mm. you. Thank you. Great question, Cody. Todd in Mississippi. Todd, you're on Exploring the Word. Welcome. Hello, Todd. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. I came in a little broken. Thank you so much. God bless you all for what you do. You're, you're such a blessing and national treasure. Thank you so much. Oh, bless you, a, my friend. I have a question. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I have a question that's actually uh, more along the lines of counsel, for uh, along the lines of advice. Um, I have a family member, a couple, married couple, that's uh, coming over for a visit alongside other family members. These are in-laws, so they're not blood relatives, and I've only met them uh, twice before, and um, they want to stay at my home. Um, and at my home, the only children left at home, all the rest have already are gone, they're in college or military, is I do have a 12-year-old boy. Um, in any event, um, they, I, they wanted to stay here, and I said, absolutely, uh, y'all stay here, and then they're on the way to Arkansas afterwards for, for, to visit some other kinfolk. 
And then I learned just just yesterday um, that that couple is a, uh, a, a, a are two ladies, and the and one member is actually transgender. And while I had met them, that transgender member, um, I don't know how I'm just not uh, wasn't able to notice it, but um, I, I noticed that he or she was a bit effeminate, but I never suspected transgender. And now I'm in such a quandary. I've already invited him in, and uh, I have deep reservations about bringing them in. And I don't know the appropriate godly response to to say, no, don't come, or even if I should say, no, don't come. And so I leave it in your lap, gentlemen. Todd, mm-hmm. wow. Thank you. Thank you. Let me tell you. Let me give you a very clear, your 12-year-old is priority over your hospitality, over what you said. Sometimes we, you can say, we did not know all the facts. And you can tell them, no, we are not going to do this. I'm not going to demonstrate this in front of my 12-year-old son, again, in kindness and love, but your 12, your, is it a son? 12, your 12-year-old is priority here. Alex, go ahead. Well, I completely agree with Bert. And Todd, uh, may God bless your gracious heart. And uh, let me tell you, don't, don't you worry a bit about uh, ruffled feathers or people saying, oh, you're, you know, you're transphobic or homophobic or whatever like that. Um, now, upon learning all the details... Uh, absolutely not. I mean, and it's not hatred, it's not animosity or animus, as they would say, but it's just truth. And, uh, you know, I, I've got to say, um, you know, th- there's there's no way, because that, I think, would send a very negative message to your son, and plus potentially even put um, something very potentially very, very negative so I'm with Bert. Your obligation to your family and your child supersedes any perceived obligation towards hospitality. May God bless you, and may God give you the courage and the grace to um, get this resolved, and we'll be praying for you. Let's, let's that pray for him right now, Alex. Yeah. Is that all right for me to pray? Yes. Father, yeah. I thank you for Todd. I thank you for his conscientiousness as a follower of Christ. I pray, God, that you would lead him. I pray that what Alex and I have said has helped I believe with all my heart we're we're dealing with truth here. It uh, being loving doesn't mean we roll over and and accept everything that comes our way, Father. And uh, doesn't mean we're mean or angry. And I help Todd to stand strong. Without that, they may perceive that. But Father, I pray that you would help Todd in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Willie in Texas. Willie, you're on exploring the word. Hey, good afternoon, uh, Brother Bert, Dr. Alex McFarland. How are you, sir? Good, good. good to hear from doing you. well, brother. Yeah, this is my first time, long time, and I've been listening to you. Thank you for your work, your good work, and we appreciate everything here in Texas that you're doing. <laughs> God bless you. Yeah, I I have a question regarding. Um, uh, People or individual always praying in tongues after a song. We I, 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 we usually attend a prayer meeting with with my friends, and every time 
after a song, one of our members, which is also one of our leaders, sort of half praying straight and then half praying the rest in tongue. So after later on, on the discussion, we we spoke about First Corinthians fourteen fourteen, and I look it up, and it's about speaking in tongues. So what it says there is, if it is if it edifies the church, and it is it can be um, interpreted, then that will be good. Otherwise, it's not going to be. It will be like null and void, and it's not going to be fruitful for the church. So. What is your take in, in this one, uh, Dr. McFarland? Well, God, God bless you. You know, Bert, every church seems to eventually get its own kind of culture, doesn't it? It does. And yes. let me just, on the one hand, I believe in freedom in worship, and, you know, if you want to shout amen, shout amen. But the, the other thing, too, though, it's got to be orderly. And also, when people come to visit, you know, you don't want to scare people off before they've had a chance to really consider staying with you. You know what I mean? So um, prayerfully, uh, and maybe this comes from having an order of service, and I, I want to be clear, I'm not trying to squelch the presence or the work of the Holy Spirit at all, but uh, the worship service needs to flow with structure and order, doesn't it, Bert? It really does, Willie. And I think, honestly, I don't know how to say that when you were sharing what you found out in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, 14 I think you you answered yourself. Now, I, I go to that person and say to them, uh, you know, uh, this is what it says. Is there an interpreter? Is there anyone there? But then the group needs to decide in one way, denominations is not good, but in many ways it is. It kind of groups people together. Those that are Pentecostal, they can gather together and they speak in tongues and it works good. Those that do not, they tend to go together. And uh, Alex, uh, there just needs to be some clarity. And the way you said it about talking to him about an order service or what fits in, I think is good advice for Willie. God bless you, Willie. Daniel in Louisiana. Daniel, welcome. You're on Exploring the Word. Hi. Yes, I was calling to ask, how did the early church make both converts and disciples, and how can we apply that to the church today so that we can uh, grow it faster and and, and see more fruit that will remain? Oh, wow. Great, great great question. Alex, let me go first on this. Let me share this with you. The Bible tells in the Great Commission it doesn't use the word converts. It says make disciples. So now does a person have to be converted in order to become a disciple? Yes, a a convert and a disciple should be the same person. Uh, We don't leave them there. We grow them. If you see the Great Commission, it's not just winning them and wedding them, and that's baptism, but it's also growing them in Christ. And so it should be that. Now, This is what I found amazing in the early church. Uh, Paul would stay there three or four months sometimes, sometimes longer, sometimes less. But usually he left someone there, Timothy, Luke, uh, Barnabas. He left someone there, Silas, to help them grow as he went on to the next place. So the whole idea is somebody in that church, the pastor, those small group leaders, 
getting those new followers of Christ and pouring the Word of God into them. Alex, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Hey, there's a book uh, called Ancient Future Evangelism by a guy named, he's in heaven now, but he was a pretty respected guy. I met him through Josh McDowell, uh, Robert Weber, uh, and Bert did you ever see It's Ancient Future Evangelism. And Daniel, to your question, how did the early church make disciples? You know, Weber talked about in the early centuries, there was the proclamation of Christ who rose from the dead. Jesus paid for sin and conquered evil by dying on the cross, rising from the dead. But then Weber talks about in the early church, um, very often it was relationships, building relationships whereby, you know, there's trust and people look to another believer for a source of truth, and there was the, the saving message of Jesus. That's one of the beautiful things is, Bert, what we believe, like Jude verse 3, it is the faith once delivered, isn't it? It is. And listen, uh, there's nothing like discipleship demands relationship, if you get down to it. It demands a relationship with Christ, but it also demands a relationship with the brother. That's what we've been talking about in First First John. Notice how that goes along, loving the brethren. Part of that loving the brethren is sharing with them the truth. Thank you so much yeah. for that call, Daniel. Uh, Rob in Texas, welcome to Exploring the Word. Hey, brothers, I love you guys. How are y'all doing? Fantastic. Oh, doing good. great. Good, good to great. hear from you. Uh, hey, I'm catching up in the Old Testament. I was in 1 Samuel last night, uh, chapter 19 and verse 13. And that's when Saul is after David and is going to kill him. And his wife uh, lets him helps him escape and then puts a household idol in the bed to be a dummy. What is Brother David doing with a household idol? <laughs> Go ahead, Alex. Well, you know, I looked up the word s- says image, and uh, you know, it's funny. I looked up this, and it says uh, uncertain. Now, was it a statue? Was it some art object, or was it an idol? Uh, was it something that one of David's wives had? You know. Uh, I got to say, I don't know. I don't know what David was doing with it. Do you, Bert? I do not know. It could have been there. He not knowing it. I, I'm trying to read it to see and to make sure. But uh, listen, uh, you know, it was the the whole idea of saving David's life at that point in time, was it not? It, it really was. Uh, Rob, that's a great question. I we know gonna- we had Oklahoma, we had New Jersey, North Carolina. We had a bank of calls we didn't fully get to today. Please try again tomorrow, and we will do our best to continue. And Bert will wrap up First John chapter 3 tomorrow, too. As we well, sure will. We? We'll probably get into chapter 4. It'll be a great study, so join us tomorrow on Exploring the Word. Tell someone about it, but more importantly, tell them about Jesus. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.